Hey everyone, Matt Robeson here. You're about to get part one of an episode that I recorded with radio host Matt McNeil coming to us out of Minnesota. He's an unabashed progressive, and I know that term has gotten kind of put into a pigeonholed box by our friends in right-wing media. He's not afraid of it. He is here to talk about how Minnesota has done so well, how they won unified control of the government of Minnesota and what they've done with that power and how that's an example to the rest of the country. We broke this episode up into two parts, so you'll get the first part today and we'll have the second part coming to you tomorrow. Also, if you like what you're hearing here with Matt McNeil, he is really interesting. He's got a great show. It's mostly on radio, but they've begun to break into podcasts as well. And you can find his show wherever you get your podcasts, especially on Apple Podcasts. That's where I just pulled it up. It's the Matt McNeil Show. So check that out. If you enjoy this, please feel free to subscribe. And with that, well, here's me. NBC News says that Minnesota is a laboratory for progressive policy, but how did that happen? How is it working? And what lessons can the rest of the country learn at a time where the Midwest matters more than ever politically? I'm Matt Robeson. This is Beyond Politics. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, Blue Amp channel on YouTube. I'm delighted to be doing the back half of Home and Home with Matt McNeil, who is an outstanding progressive radio host in Minnesota. He's the host of I'm going to use a big word here. The eponymous show in Minnesota, the Matt McNeil show. He's a proud Minnesotan. That's pretty awesome. It makes me feel like you need Viking horns. And you've been in radio for more than 25 years. Yes. Matt McNeil, welcome to Beyond Politics. M Matt, thank you very much. An absolute pleasure to be with you. I'm delighted to have you. So I love doing these home and homes. Like I show up on a show and then I get to have you on. And because I get to do like these deeper dives because like we're in the digital world. I get to find out a lot about this. I want to dig into you a little bit because I have an angle I want to push with you, but let's talk about Minnesota a little bit. Sure. I've invoked Minnesota on this show before because as longtime listeners know, I am really into the idea that Democrats are so prone to thinking about politics upside down. We think in terms of how did Bernie put it? Big, bold legislation and big, bold initiatives, we think, at the federal level. And we really should be focusing on the state and local level. That's where everything starts. That's where the power turns. And Minnesota is a great example of this. And what NBC was talking about from that open was the fact that you guys engineered a trifecta in Minnesota where you took over the state legislature, you took over the attorney general, you took over the governor's mansion, and now you have untrammeled power. How'd you do that? And it was, first of all, let's give credit where credit is due. The Republicans had some really. They were your unindicted co-conspirators in this. Love it. They were, they, they were running a candidate for secretary of state who made disparaging comments about the Jews. So you had the anti-vaxxer governor candidate who was running around the state. There is, on a quick side, I can, there is a huge problem within the Republican Party because, at least here in Minnesota, because you have these outstate Republicans who want the most MAGA of MAGA, and they're the ones who pick the primary winners. Then you have to try to sell that across the state. Frankly, extremism does not sell in the suburbs. It just does not. We're talking about we're going to make abortion illegal. We're going to get rid of LGBTQ rights. That was not resonating at all. And so bad candidates, bad policies, the fact that 
you, you they have to claim themselves as these extremists to win the primary and then say, who said I was an extremist? You did. Who said yeah, you were? That's the problem. Governor Walls actually was in office. He just won a second term. The Minnesota DFL, and we call them the DFL in Minnesota, the Democratic Farm Labor Party. The DFL already held the Minnesota House, but it was the Senate what was the tough nut to crack. But then came the 2020 redistricting. And I remember looking at this map and I'm saying, even on a really good year, the Republicans are going to have a hard time picking this up. And they tried really hard and they lost two seats, which basically gave the Democrats a one seat majority. Now, that's the crazy part that a lot of people don't realize. They pulled all this off with a one state majority. And then the, and that comes down to the mentality when they took over and they realized they had a real opportunity here. You have to stop the Democrats who basically they have been convinced by Republican talking points that they have to be compromised. They have to get some Republicans to sign on. If Republicans aren't part of the negotiating process, then everyone's going to hate them. And the reality is Minnesota just picked entire trifecta of Democrats. The state wants the DFL in charge. Henceforth, go to town. And what preceded this legislative cycle was truly freaking amazing. I have not ever seen a state ever do the amount of things. Paid family sick leave, legalized marijuana, free school lunch for kids. We are a sanctuary state for abortion rights. Women's rights are enshrined in the state constitution now. Or excuse me, they're the state to state law basically already were basically in institution. They clarified it. So there's no question now at this point. You have paid family sick time, you have family leave options available, you have across the board in every corner of the state, they improve things. Broadband out in rural Minnesota, massive infrastructure improvement, specifically water quality issues in a lot of communities where they've had problems, especially out in the farming parts of the state. They just, they went to town. They said, if we got a one chance to do this, we can do this. Even gun legislation, common sense gun legislation passed in Minnesota. We have a red flag law. We have a background check law that closed loopholes. These even passed. And so it really is a perfect example of taking advantage of this and remembering that Republicans never concern themselves with what the Democrats want. They just do things. And in Minnesota, while the Demo why the Democrats were so successful is they basically just adopted the Republican mentality. We really don't care what you want. If you want to, if it's a minor thing and we want to have a discussion, sure, we can easily get that involved. But we're not necessarily looking for you. To, you're not going to be writing these bills. These so are Democrat bills. Sounds to read that back to you like the answer is there was a little bit of unindicted co-conspiratorship from the Republicans. They essentially co-signed the Democrats' effort to retake. And we know that there was a focused effort from the DLC to fund and invest in Minnesota. This didn't just happen by accident. There was strategy, there was investment, and there was also some extremism, which is basically the pattern that we've seen everywhere. I guess the question to you though is, so you now have this track record that you've built up in Minnesota, a tremendous productivity from a democratic controlled legislature. In fact, the Senate, the state Senate, passed more bills in January than the previous six sessions of January's combined under both Republicans and Democrats. There's only a D plus one majority in the Senate. And that goes back, that, that includes, that productivity includes sessions where Democrats had majorities of 11. And so this is a tremendous, what you're saying is Democrats have had their eyes on the prize. They've said, mm -hmm. look, we're going ahead. This is our agenda. We're doing it, we're passing it. Does that mean that 
they've gone too far and that Minnesota has become North Wokistan because that's the comeback from Republicans. It's if you put the Democrats in charge, it's all going to be gay witches for abortion running your state. Is that what's gone down? Gay witches for abortion. That's, by the way, my my favorite cure cover. <laughs> if, if it's the cure, though, yeah. you've got to work in there that a lot more bad stuff has happened. Yeah. Your dog got shot. Someone <laughs> ran over your grandma. Let me you wait got, for a while. Get, yeah. yeah, you got to go low. Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. We have to stop believing Republican talking points. Have we gone to Wolkistan? No. So back in 2012 in Minnesota, there were the Republicans put a constitutional amendment on the ballot to basically make gay marriage illegal. It wasn't going well for them. And as a matter of fact, they have even ads where they're, we don't hate anybody. But <laughs> I'm not a witch. Not, not a witch. Exactly. And they lost. And they lost badly. I think it was like 62% of the state said, no, we do not want to outlaw gay marriage. To which then the first thing out of my mouth was, and? And there were, but immediately there were Democrats who basically can't push this far. I'm like, dude, you've got a mandate. The public just said we're good with gay marriage. They have said this. And finally, calmer minds prevailed after a little debate, and they passed gay marriage in Minnesota. Cool. As they did this, there was a very interesting thing the Republicans started to do, which was the louder they scream, the more they're terrified about something. The more they talk about jamming it down our throats or forcing this on us or woke policies, what they're trying to do is scare Democrats. Now, by the way, this actually has been an effective policy. For them, they've been able to convince Democrats, yeah, I better vote against my best interest. Anyway, they do this and they scream and they say, you don't do this. They are screaming the loudest when they know something's about to pass that is going to be popular, that people are going to like, and they are going to basically have a hard time dealing with. So that is in the minute that gay marriage passed, what all those people, that, it's going to be, it's going to be Sodom and Gomorrah, chaos yeah. on the planet, blah, blah, blah. Dogs and cats living in sin. Exactly. They stopped talking about it. They stopped talking about it because they knew they'd lost. They knew they couldn't really come back to that issue. They knew that it was over, that most people were happy with it. So all of a sudden it's, who was ever against gay marriage? That is the cardinal sin of Democrats, in my mind, is you've got to stop freaking listening to their talking points. I describe it like this. We, as the Democratic Party, are in a big field. There's another field with a fence between us. It's the Republican Party. And some of the Democrats are close to the fence to the Republican Party. Meanwhile, way on the other side, look, that's AOC and Bernie way over on the other side of our own field. I'm closer to these guys. Maybe I should work with them. And the stupid thing they just can't seem to comprehend is the people on the other side of that fence want to kill them. <laughs> they want them annihilated. They want them gone. And sure, they'll say, hey, I'll let you sit with us in the Capitol lunchroom that sort of thing. And see, I'm being bipartisan. You've got to stop Democrats who are priority is partisan, not being Democrat. You want to be bipartisan? Fine. Go be an independent or try to be a moderate Republican. Fine. They're not going to let you do it. But you want to be an independent? Fine. You can be middle of the road, knock yourself. But if you are going to be a Democrat, you need to follow and go with the base Democratic platform. And frankly, way too many de moderate Democrats do not end Progressive Democrats, too, don't want to stay with the platform. Stay with the platform. Pass the platform. Everyone wins, and you end up looking good. And 
that so Republicans are always going to scream. They're always going to get upset. They're always going to get bothered when they know something good is about them. But Democrats can't believe that press. You have to basically go and do the right thing. And if you don't want to pass a basic Democratic platform, then why the hell are you a Democrat? You're right. You're pointing out two interesting things. One is the increasingly ironic name for your state party, which is Democrats, farmers and labor. When those groups have heard that siren song from the other side and they're, that's those are the groups that we have lost. And you have to wonder why we have stopped pushing an agenda that we truly think is beneficial for farmers and for labor, the roots of our party. What's the matter with Kansas? Like we we used to represent those people. We had their economic and social interests at heart. And we seem to have become afraid of it. And that leads me to my second point, which is I just enjoyed a mea culpa on this show with my former boss in Congress, Paul Hodes, over the issue of guns. Paul Hodes was partly at my instigation as his chief of staff, an A-plus rated NRA Democrat. And part of the reason for that was my strategy. Out of a different time in American politics, he's in New Hampshire, at the time a very swingy swing state, still a swing state still a swing district, still a barely Democratic-leaning district. And when he was running for the U.S. Senate, I felt strongly that I did not want to fight. I had to fight the whole Republican Party. I had to fight the whole right-wing media apparatus. I didn't want to fight the NRA as well. I wanted to take them off the board and limit the number of our well-funded enemies. And so I pushed him. I fully admit it, and I feel bad about it. But I think that I was at least strategically justified based on the politics of the time. Part of the politics of the time also goes back to your point, which is I do think there was a viable and reasonable line of thinking at the time. And you and I talked about this when yeah. I was on your show, yeah. that if you were a blue dog Democrat, if you were a Democrat represented a rural district, a, a, a more conservative area, you it, it worked to be a more conservative Democrat. And there was space in the Democratic Party for that. And there was space in our politics for that, where you could get crossover Republican votes and you could get independent votes and you could occupy that middle and you could care about things like bipartisanship. And I think what you're pointing out is that the ground has increasingly shifted. And yeah. while the sentiment may be noble and people like me still pine for a return to that kind of thing, because ultimately it leads to a good place. It's not really a winning strategy anymore. I'm putting words in your mouth, but I, that's my reaction to what you said. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. Paul Wellstone came out of rural Minnesota. Paul Wellstone. He right. This, and that was that mentality of care for the labor. I just made the point yesterday because I've run into labor unions who vote Republican or their endorsement is Republican. I said, you do realize they'll kill you the second they can. They, you do realize this. Oh, they won't. And I said yesterday on Labor Day that the reality is that if you look at all of the pro-labor jobs that were passed, one of the bills was passed was that basically no longer a contractor can basically say a subcontractor is responsible for wages that weren't paid, that the top priority contractor has to pay all wages guaranteed on any project because there was a ton of that going on. People were not getting paid because a subcontractor, which generally was a fake contractor, was going under and workers were out of money after they did all the work. We changed that law. You think that the Republicans would have passed that law? You think the Republicans would pass any of these laws that we passed that made workers better? 
No, of course not. And I think that there is this mentality. There is a, an insane level of dishonesty within rural Republicans. Every one of them proudly voted against every bill, but every single stinking one of them is out there right now taking credit for the Democrats' bills that were passed. Oh, thank God I was there to give free school lunches to kids. No, you voted against it. They have brainwashed their supporters to the point where the it's not, they don't have to deliver. They don't have to produce. They can be basically, I'm going to kill your wife and kids party. And they'll be like, great, they're not going to do that. And when they do that, then they'll say, oh, damn, Democrats, why did they let him do that? That is where we're. And so you used to be there used to be some accountability. And that is what the great trick of the Republicans has been, is that they have made themselves unaccountable to their voters, that when they're voting against workers' rights, health care, better roads, better schools in rural Minnesota, then they turn around and say, I voted against it, but the Democrats passed it. Thank God I was there to help them and told, and I told them what to do, even though I voted against it. That's insanity, but that's what gets, that's what is accepted nowadays as far as in, oh, that's great. I'm glad he, glad he voted against the bill that he's now taking credit for. And the other thing that you're pointing out here is that what's so interesting about Democrats essentially saying, here is our agenda. We're going to, we're going to pass it. We're going to run on it. And again, I could spout statistics and we have them from Michigan as well, where again, Democrats achieved a trifecta and have run with it is there's not this, there's not this North Wolkistan effect, right? It's not like there's no, no animals were harmed in the filming of this trifecta. And like Democrats in Minnesota have even passed. Minnesota is not well known for being particularly racially diverse. That said, and maybe that's a little bit of a misunderstanding on the part of the rest of the country, but Democrats did pass a natural protections for black Americans who wear their hair in a natural state that they can't be discriminated against in the workplace. This seems like common sense. It seems like the kind of thing that Ron DeSantis would love to, oh, you're getting woke and blah, 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 blah. You know what? Everyone's fine with it. You no don't care. Because what we're basically saying is, hey, let's not discriminate against people who look different than white avatars of what we put forward in the media. It, that's cool. And most people are like, that's cool. I don't have a problem with that. And the contrast is so interesting because we've seen the converse happen in states in recent years where Republicans get unified control. What happened in Kansas? Talk about what's the matter with Kansas. What happened in Kansas 10 years ago when Republicans achieved unified control? They created a deficit so abyssal boy, come with more words than this, that it took years to dig out of it. It was an emergency. And then, of course, there is the aforementioned Ron DeSantis in Florida, who has gone absolutely nuts with right wing legislation. And it just seems to me as a kind of evident. It's not just that Minnesota is a laboratory for progressive policy. They're also a political laboratory of if you hand Democrats the keys, and even if they do stuff that kind of sounds like what Republicans charge will be so scary that they'll do, surely voters are okay with it. There's nothing bad. And it's well-meaning. It's not like evil out to get you because you're a disadvantaged person in America. It's let's try to make people's lives better off. And what's like, you haven't blown up the state yet. It is. There is a common sense element here. And I want to go back to something I said earlier, which is we have, a, there's a weakness we can really exploit here if you're on the left. There, 
Minnesota, even moderate Republicans in this state. You talk about the Juneteenth. We legalize Juneteenth. That's a state holiday now as well. These things are, yeah, you're right. We don't have the money for the most diverse state. It's a lot of white guys, but we do have a, a very large Native American population. We have a large American population. We have a large Somali population. We have a large Southeast Asian population, specifically in the Twin Cities metro area on many of those groups. But the reality is people just don't. So why am I? Yeah, there is, I've had conservatives say to this thing. Why am I supposed to discriminate against this person again? And that's how it's like, I don't want to do that. And there, so there is this kind of maybe podunky hokiness that about it. Said, no, we're not going to do that. So it doesn't, it does not help. Now, here's where it gets back to that exploitation. There are districts in this state, particularly the, the western part of the state. If you run the I-94 corridor from Minneapolis-St. Paul up to St. Cloud, they're very conservative. And the people that are there, they are the ones who are talking they have to build a minority people here. It's going to stand, that sort of thing. That is what is driving the Republican Party. And not just in this state, it's in every state. This, there is this element that's out there. I've been critical of the DFL. I said the second that they passed all these bills, I said every billboard in every town across the state put up a sign saying that water treatment plant, we did this. Sick paid time off, we did this. Free school lunch, we did this. And have that out there and basically make people realize all that you've done, because that's part of the problem that the Democrats and the DFL have is the salesmanship, making sure people remember it's because of you that I have this. And because Republicans are quickly taking credit for all this stuff, go out there and attack. The problem is that there are these belligerent people that are out there that really drive the party. And I think we do have to have a new mentality as this goes, because unless we're going to go on out into rural America and really do a massive influx of media spending, buying radio stations, TV stations, papers, and this stuff, which I don't know if even would work, you're not going to get a lot of these groups of people just been brainwashed for 30 years of right-wing politics, and that's just that. So I think you just have to basically say, okay, that's only about a million and a half of the people of the five and a half million people of the state. We'll take the rest. We'll take Rochester. We'll take Duluth. We'll take Moorhead. We'll take all the metro areas. We'll take the suburbs because you don't have a this victory. And sure, you can be the howler monkey exhibit over in the corner of the house and the Senate screaming and throwing your feces at each other. But the reality is you can't do anything outside of scream. We're actually going to fix things. And so I think that maybe you have to, we, the Democrats, maybe even nationally on a statewide level, have to start looking where do you start cutting your losses and then having a much more streamlined because you figure that out like we did in Minnesota, it gets pretty hard for the Republicans. It has to be a spectacular rear for the Republicans to really start getting any power back in the state. And I just don't think that they're going to happen. That's it for part one of the episode. Hope you enjoyed it. We will be back tomorrow with part two.